Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Congratulations to those five talented ladies nominated for Best Performance by an Actress. Doris Day, Pillow Talk. Audrey Hepburn, The Nun's Story. Catherine Hepburn, Suddenly Last Summer. Simone Signore, Room at the Top. And Elizabeth Taylor, for suddenly last summer. Simone Signore, room at the top! Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 1960 ceremony year win for Simone Signore, the second French actress to ever win an Academy Award, the first being Claudette Colbert. And oh my gosh, Betty Davis was robbed for Of Human Bondage. That's a different podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by uh, one of my friends, one of my favorites, and uh, you know he's a writer for Schitt's Creek. It's uh, Dan Dillabo. How are you, Dan? Hello, I'm very good. Um, to be back. I am so happy to have you back. You're one of my favorite guests. Um, I do always like to ask the 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 guests whenever we we jump into this as to like why they selected this year. And I remember uh, we were talking about this at like two o'clock in the morning. I don't really remember the exact conversation, but why 1960s Simone Signore? Uh, it's a good lineup this year. There's some big names mm-hmm. and a few kind of uh, deep cuts. Uh, we got a double nominee this year, two women in one film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's uh, only four films we have to watch instead of five. So yes. it saves a, a little time on prep. <laughs> yep. Um, and then with this, the film uh, that Catherine uh, uh, Hepburn and uh, Liz Taylor were nominated for suddenly last summer was featured on Criterion Channel recently. It was on their uh, queer sighted series that they do every year, which is sort of uh, a retrospective of, of movies that are kind of LGBT themed in some way. Interesting. Uh, so that was, it was at the top of my mind. And uh, and then I looked it up and I made the connection. And uh, I am very glad I watched it. I mean, it's so interesting because Suddenly Last Summer was insane. It's a very insane film. I enjoyed it very much because I love Elizabeth Taylor. I love Catherine Hepburn. I love the voice that she speaks with. Like, I love it. But I was just so amazed at um, just the blatant homophobia mm-hmm. and, like, the... But it was subtle. Like, it was like, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Okay, there's lots to talk about. So talking about the 1960 ceremony year win at the Academy Awards, uh, Best Picture went to Ben-Hur, Best Director went to William Wyler for Ben-Hur, Best Actor went to Charlton Heston for, you guessed it, Ben-Hur. Big year for Ben. (laughs) Best Supporting Actor went to Hugh Griffith for, wait for it, Ben-Hur, shocker. Was his name Ben-Hur? I'm drawing a blank now. (laughs) And uh, the Best Supporting Actress went to Shelley Winters for The Diary of Anne Frank. Um... This was a very interesting year because I think that there is a record of the shortest performance ever on screen uh, for two minutes and 59 seconds, uh, who I believe that went to, I think this was for Room at the Top, uh, Hermione uh, Battelies. Yeah. Italy. That's a very British name. Very. Uh, oh, was she the the woman that owns the apartment? Yes. In Room at the Top. Yeah. Two yeah. minutes and oh, two minutes and nineteen seconds. Shortest wow. Oscar-nominated performance ever. She makes the most of it. Uh, she really makes a meal out of those two minutes and nineteen seconds. I mean, it's I interesting because just... it's not. She's not a big name in America. It's no. just I, she's just kind of coasting on on you know, the success of this movie. Yeah. Like sometimes you'll get that at the Emmys where like Elaine Stritch will pop into whatever Downton Abbey for 30 yeah. seconds and, <laughs> and they'll shower her with laurels. But uh, they just like yeah, catapult awards at her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I also think that that also has to say about the lack of decent roles for women, especially yes. during this time, which is a theme in a lot of these. Oh, of you're course. really kind of, scraping the bottom of the barrel to find a woman that had a, a juicy monologue that we can oh, cut yeah. together for her Oscar clip. I mean, it's so interesting. So the last episode that I did was um, Jessica Lang for Blue Sky, which is regarded as, and I, we talked about this before, like the, one of the most underwhelming 
uh, best actress races in Oscar history. And frankly, I agree. Mm -hmm. But this year was very refreshing because I actually enjoyed all of the movies in different ways. And I enjoyed all the performances for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's just jump into it. So let's talk about, this is in no particular order, Audrey Hepburn in The Nun Story. So this is Audrey Hepburn's, this is one of her favorite films, and um, this was one of the most financially successful films that she had ever made. Um, This was originally offered to Ingrid Bergman, uh, but she felt that she was too old for the role, so she was the one that actually pitched um, Audrey Hepburn for this role. Also, I only clued in when I was writing out the nominees that Audrey Hepburn and Catherine Hepburn have the same, no relation, Yes, just same last name. I thought they were sisters for many years yeah having not being familiar with their body's work at all i just it's just assumed that they were a, a sister duo of yeah. the golden age of hollywood oh well, of course just by proxy yeah, yeah, yeah um and this story is inspired by real life mary louise habit who actually became really good friends with audrey hepburn and actually nursed audrey hepburn back to health after a near a near fatal horse riding accident on the set of the unforgiven oh that's very nice so the nun story if she if she hadn't done this movie she would have just fallen off that horse and died <laughs> <laughs> been lying there prone in a field so this was a life-saving role it really was it in really more was. ways it saved my life personally <laughs> <laughs> saved my sinner's soul. I mean, this is very interesting because at the time, obviously, the world was deeply religious mm-hmm. and uh, being uh, slightly a nun, more so than it is today. I mean, only like, slightly. Well, more in the fact that it's like to dedicate your life to a vocation of like Christianity or whatever, mm-hmm. becoming a priest or a nun or whatever. It was like this extremely respected, wow, kind of job. Yeah, and it's definitely not like that these days. I think I think you would be surprised. It is like we we kind of live in these you know uh pagan liberal big city circles and we don't know anybody who goes to church right but I, I assume you know what 80 percent of the you know the people of north america are, are religious in some way i don't have the numbers in front of me but, yeah <laughs> uh, we need to pull up a flow chart but i mean true because i mean we definitely hang out with people that have like healing crystals that they recharge by the moon yeah that's their their little catholicism 100 percent is the astrology and but i and and you're right i mean i guess because of the the circles that we rule in but i would just say that do you know anybody that like went into become a priest and people were like oh my god good for you or were people like oh why yeah no it would it would be considered weird certainly yeah but this is yeah it's kind of a cultural shift between yeah 1960 and today this was like a mainstream movie yeah that is basically basically just an instruction manual on how to become a nun yeah like there's very very little uh you know there's no kind of tension or subversion about the role of the Catholic. She, she's really committed to it, and it's very reverent about the institution of Catholicism. Yeah. There are, I mean, they they still do make Christian movies, of course. They're, they're, they're coming out all the time, but it's more of a, a niche thing today. Uh, the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, I haven't seen it. Is that a, like, hardcore Christian movie? She's an, uh, a televangelist. Okay. And she's also pro-LGBTQ, so I think that they thought, like, ah, we'll get both markets in here. Mm-hmm. And, throw an Academy Award at her. I mean, that is an episode that I would like to do because if I'm being honest with you, I get her nomination. I didn't really understand the win myself, but again, you know, that's another episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But the nun story is very interesting because you're right. It really does show the process of what it you have to go through to become a nun and how you have in granular detail. Oh, I know. And it did drag a little bit, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, whenever she has to go to Africa, and she she's also like a, a like a, a nurse in that assists in surgery, and then she um, doesn't get what she wants to do, and then she, her, she begins to question not her faith, but like her her vows of being a nun and whether or not she wants to stay as a nun, and then in the end, she walks away from it. And mm-hmm. this place takes place in. Um, at first, I think it starts in 1930, and then it's it, the lead up to World War II. Exactly, yeah, yeah. and, and um, that kind of yeah, the the sort of the coming of the war and the the sort of expectations on her to you know stay stay silent and not you know get politically involved and just kind of do her duties. That is kind of a, a breaking point for her, and, yeah. and ultimately she decides to to leave the convent and, and go off into the world. Yeah. Um, do you think though that, cause a lot of people, the criticism that they gave of her performance and of this movie is so many people were like, she's a movie star. She's not an actress. And in this particular uh, role, they're like, I'm very aware that I'm watching Audrey Hepburn. 
this isn't like a dramatic role necessarily. I don't agree with that. I actually loved her in this movie. I actually thought it was very interesting. I didn't I I didn't find that it dragged a lot. I also Oh, enjoy- I very much disagree. Oh, that's this so is funny. A, this I- is a two and a half hour slog. <laughs> and I love long movies. Yeah. Uh, I love them, but something's got to happen. Something's got to give. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was interesting how at the very beginning, like, she owes the church a dowry to become a nun. Like, she owes them money to give up her life. Yeah, as soon as you're in, you're you're in uh, for everything you're worth. And they really do not make it easy on you. Yeah. Uh, you have to, um, yeah, you have to obviously take a vow of, of chastity. Um, you know, they make you lie on the flat on the floor yeah. and like fully sort of, you know, prostrate yourself before God. Prostrate yourself. Prostrate is a different thing. <laughs> um, you have to, they talked about like the flagellation, the, with like the whipping yourself with the little thing. Yeah. Um, there's one point where, because she's like, uh, she has a, an education, uh, her character, her, her character's father was a doctor and so she's very knowledgeable about medicine and she, um, is what is it? She has, she's about to do really well on a test and then, and the, the the mother superior is like, you have to fail the test on purpose to prove your humility before God. Yeah, and then she was like, I don't want to do. Th- I yeah. didn't. She didn't though, right? No, she didn't. And and she was punished by not getting the assignment that she wants. She wants to go to the Congo, and she gets passed over for. It's so funny the it's way very that... Very strange rituals. Well, like the nun, it, like you're saying, because they do the self-flagellation, they're talking about like you have to basically have no ego at all and basically you have to give up any human experience of like desire or enjoyment essentially. Yeah. And you're like, I think you nuns need to work on your sales pitch a little <laughs> bit because you've lost me, you know? Yeah, it does not make it look fun. I, I think that is by design. Uh, oh, of course. I, yeah. I know that a lot of this, because this movie is very popular with uh, with Christian audiences. I think that was part of the the sell was, you know, we're going to, we're going to paint a, a depiction of this that is, is kind of truthful to, to Christianity that doesn't, you know, sensationalize it. Um, yeah, and so they had that's to, true. Yeah, uh, I see that. I was yeah, I was reading that they had to like kind of jump through all these hoops to get approval to like film at these different places and and get the you know the approval of the church, um, and and so the you know the the nuns would like request certain changes like the uh, the the nuns have these things with like clickers these little wooden clickers that they use okay that the nuns were like you have to take those out because it it makes us look crazy <laughs> oh yeah that that's the th- that's the straw that breaks the camel's back on the crazy train yeah 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 <laughs> you know yeah. not the like whipping yourself that's or, fine yeah that's, that's all good God wants that yeah. Um, um, and then the, the thing at the end where she kind of decides to, to you know, give up uh, her vows, it's kind of uh, set up in a way where um, the movie's telling you, like, she was never cut out to be a nun in the first place, basically. Mm-hmm. It's not like be- being a, a nun is so onerous and so horrible that, you know, no one would ever do it. It's more like this specific woman, uh, you know, is too impassioned and, and has too many values. And, and she this was never the life for her. Mm-hmm. And that was, I feel like that was an, an edit that the church demanded, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably. it. You know that it was a, a priest's idea that, mm-hmm. like, the nuns couldn't speak. Yes, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Like, could women just not talk? We would, we'd love that. Um, but, I mean, but that's the thing, though, is um, they literally just punish you for breathing essentially. for existing yeah for being a, i mean that's the whole that's their whole deal is if you're a woman you <laughs> fucked up immediately already without having done anything yeah you've got original sin all over you but then the the mother that told her to fail later said you mustn't destroy yourself with guilt or remorse but then she had to show penance for the fact that she didn't fail mm-hmm. there was a lot of like confusing no one's saying these rules make sense yeah like there was a lot of confusion or maybe that is accurate to the to being in the church I don't know mm-hmm. but there was just like in terms of watching a movie there were just a lot of things that contradicted itself that I thought was like really confusing right. and um I understood at the end why she would choose to leave the nunnery or whatever you call it Mm -hmm. because just seeing the whole process of it from the beginning i'm like well yeah obviously like who the fuck wants to do this right uh but i don't know if i was necessarily if i necessarily completely understood why she specifically wanted to i think it was it was like once her father died in the second in the fir- in the second world war mm-hmm. once her father died it was like that was it and she's like i can't do this and it was like is it because 
you wish that you could have been there for your father, but you had to be there for the the patients at the church, or was it because you were so restricted from like there there? I guess that I was just a little confused. Yeah, it's a very internal movie, um, and yeah, you know, it feels like you know we're not always getting. Uh, the full picture of what what she's thinking, especially because she's like you know silent for huge chunks of the movie. She's not allowed yeah. to say anything or tell you how she's feeling. Um, yeah, I, it's it's tough to get a, a read on her character sometimes for sure. Well, I think, and I wrote this down that a lot of her acting is reacting to perpetual bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, but her sacrifice of her life is what makes the performance and the story compelling mm-hmm. because it is a pretty boring movie. I think it is unforgivable how unhorny this movie is. <laughs> I was so re- as soon as I saw there was a two and a half hour Audrey Hepburn movie about nuns, I was like, bring it on, baby. I I want to see some trysts in the bell tower. I want to see some sideways glances at prayer. Nothing. Not one. There's like, you know, when she goes to the Congo and, and she kind of meets this, yeah. this older sort of hunky doctor. And I'm yeah. like, here we go. Bring it on. Uh, but there's no, there's like a, there's like the tiniest bit of flirtation that does not. The sexual uh, tension was not actually mm. real. That was just for the movie. It was so that just was for the, yeah, yeah. that was as horny it was as it was gonna get. Yeah, and yeah. there's another scene where they're yeah. Also, when she's in the Congo and she kind of uh, there's like the the sort of hunky local guy who has his shirt unbuttoned a little bit, and the camera kind of pans down, <laughs> and she's looking at him, and then she's like, nope, and just goes back to her prayer. <laughs> she's like always about to be tempted, and then just thinks better of it. So and she's it's infuriating. I mean, the, well, then she's doing her job as a nun, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, it's... I really enjoyed it. I really enjoy Audrey Hepburn. I really... Um, if you watch something like Sabrina or Roman Holiday or that movie where she plays a blind person just by, like, having this blank stare on her face the whole movie. Oh, which one was that? Oh, God. It, it was... It was one of Alan Arkin's like original movies, like in the 1960s. I I'll look oh. it up, but um, anyway, this was I really liked her in this movie, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed the process of watching her become a nun. And like I was raised Catholic, and so I always find that kind of stuff very interesting. And uh, I always find religion very because inter- I'm not a religious person, so for me. M- Religion just seems very magical. Right, getting a peek behind the curtain. And yeah, seeing how weird it is. I, I find it's it exciting. I, I fi- yeah, it. exactly. And so I really liked her in this movie. I really enjoyed this movie, but obviously I can understand why you would find it quite boring. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is definitely interesting because I feel like I, I mainly know her from romantic comedy stuff, like yeah, Roman Holiday and, and My Fair Lady. I feel like that's what most people know her for. Yeah, Breakfast at Tiffany's. So seeing her kind of uh, take on a role like this is is. Uh, cool. Yeah. That's not for me, but... Uh, but I'm, also, too, I'm like, glad she uh, enjoyed herself. Yeah, but I mean, also, too, like, it, it's in, it's nice seeing her as the lead, you know? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of these performances where it's like you kind of see some of these women for, like, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. It's like, this is a whole story about her from beginning to end. You see her full journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. I know that that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good or a bad thing, but, like, for me, it's like I just like seeing a character grow and, like, how everything that they went through changes them. And um, because a a lot of these performances and the writing was just so... I mean, at the time, it it wasn't a cliché, but when you look at it through the lens of like 2022, it's like some of these things, like the way they throw themselves onto the bed and they're like, Oh, what will I do? Like things like that. Mm. The only thing that I will be (laughs) critical of, of Audrey Hepburn. And this is just sort of an in general thing is I don't like the way that she's, that she delivers lines where she's like, Oh, I love you. I really do love you. Mm. I hate that. The, uh, the mid-Atlantic accent. Well, it's just very unnatural. Which also, Catherine Hepburn kind of sounds like that. And that's why yeah. maybe why I thought that they were sisters <laughs> from the same weird foreign country that I'd never heard of. Well, what's it called? Diction? Is that what it's called? Dick, yeah, like pronunciation. Dick, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it, I guess that was just the style at the time. Like, yeah, sort it's of kind how... of a, a, a cultivated accent. Yeah. Like, people don't talk like that in the real world. Like, no. Like, Jackie O would talk like this, too, in a way sure. that, like, where are you from? <laughs> yeah, right. And it's just kind of, you know, a, a made-up thing. Um, but even just, like, the guys were like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, ah, blah, 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 blah. Like, people don't talk like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I, I always kind of find that a little, un- it's cute, but it's also a little annoying. Yes, yeah, yeah. But again, like, that was just the time. 
Um, okay, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Audrey Hepburn's performance before we move on? Um, one thing I read on IMDb that I thought was interesting is that Sergio Leone was an AD on this movie. Oh, interesting. Uh, great director of, of spaghetti westerns. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what brought him to, to this, but uh, <laughs> just a fun fact. Humble beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think he would have like been kind of a big deal at this. I don't know. I don't know what the timeline is. Yeah, it probably would have been before, like, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Maybe he has, like, a he's nun fetish. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> uh, maybe he's horny for nuns. Somebody's gotta be. Somebody's gotta be. Okay, let's talk about Doris Day and Pillow Talk. Oh, this Doris movie Day. was what just a... delightfully problematic. <laughs> I uh, Obviously, this is a product of its time. Yeah, um, and I love it in spite of all of the... Same. All of the pro- it is so delightful. <laughs> they do not make this kind of unabashedly hard-on-their-sleeve rom-coms yeah. anymore. Yeah, and this movie was very risque for the time. Rock Hudson mm. uh, turned down the film three times because he felt that it was too risque. Alfred Hitchcock, according to his daughter Patricia, said that he really wanted to direct this movie, and Marilyn Monroe wanted to play the role of Jan, which was um, the, uh, played by Doris Day. I would love to see the Hitchcock cut of, of Pillow Talk. Oh my gosh. I think that would be really interesting. <laughs> also, Doris Day had like a Marilyn Monroe style in the movie, like her look. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be maybe interesting to see Marilyn Monroe in this as well. This is Doris Day's only Academy Award nominated performance, but... Um, so basically, Pillow Talk is... A I think it's the only movie I've ever seen of hers, too. I, I don't know. Oh. She, it feels like she occupies a similar place to Marilyn Monroe, where yeah. the idea of her is, is more famous than... You know, how many how many of her movies have you seen? I know exactly what you mean. And honestly, uh, All About Eve. I've never seen yes. Some Like It Hot. I've never seen um, uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never... Uh, Some Like It Hot also came out this year, I believe, and was not, it was kind of, came up short at the Oscar nominations a little bit, which is yeah. weird, because it's outlived all these other movies. Yeah. And, uh, okay, so just very quickly, so Pillow Talk is about an interior decorator, Doris Day, and a Playboy songwriter, uh, Rock Hudson. Uh, they share a telephone party line and size each other up. So it is a... Very so basically Rock Hudson uh finally meets Jan, who she cannot stand him because he's always using their phone line that they share. It's such a classic rom-com setup, like having to do with a very specific technology thing of yeah, the time. Of the which time. Is that you would have a shared phone line with someone across the street. Right. And then uh he, he doesn't like her, she doesn't like him, she goes to the phone company, complains about him, and then Rock Hudson sees her in real life and he's like, Oh, she's gorgeous. So then he lies and manipulates the shit out of her yes. to go on dates with her, and he literally creates these two different personalities. This of, Texan guy, what's it? It's like Rex Stetson. Yeah. Like a cartoon yeah. Texan oil man or whatever. Yeah, and then uh Doris Day, you know, falls in love with him, and then in the end she finds out that he was lying to her and she's furious rightfully so yeah i feel like this is the second movie we've talked about on this podcast in which rex hudson creates a fake persona to lie to a woman yeah uh, the last one was magnificent obsession do you remember this one? Oh yeah where he is like in a car accident with this woman and she goes blind that's and right so he becomes a different person and starts uh, just yeah, takes on a new voice and just starts lying to her. Oh my god! Now that's actually driving me crazy. What was that movie called? Magnificent it, Obsession. Magnificent Obsession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, talking about Doris Day in this movie, you know, it's very much like a rom com type of performance. Very frothy, very big. I don't think that this role was necessarily demanding a lot from her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the nomination for her was very likely from all of the performance that came after she found out that Rock Hudson was lying to her. Right. And it was like, you felt bad for her, but it was also, she did it in a funny way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that you have to give it up for the comedy chops. That was very impressive. But up until that point, it was a very one note performance, very like, um, 
I'm frustrated with you or, ooh, I love you. And it was just kind of that. Yeah, she's the, the straight woman to yes. Rock Hudson's kind of roguish yeah. charmer. Yeah. Uh, and she, yeah, she doesn't have a lot to do for a while other than be annoyed. Uh, she does it very well. Yeah. And then whenever Rock Hudson is trying to deter Jan from dating this man and he refer, he's like, well, you know, he probably collects recipes and spends too much yes. time with his mother. You know, the type of man who exchanges pieces of gossip. Yes. And it's like, which is funny because, yeah. you know, he for sure is a... Rock Hudson was, yeah, famously a closeted... A, 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 a recipe collecting <laughs> mama's boy. And same over here, girl. I have a shelf right there with cookbooks. Um, After, yeah, he says that, that line where he implies that his... The, the the real him is gay, and she's just so appalled. I know. What a despicable I thing know. to say, you awful, awful man. Yeah, and then what was the line that uh, Rock Hudson says when he sees her ass? He goes, so that's the other end of your party line. Oh. oh. <laughs> Smooth operator. I mean, I'm sure at the time, you know, this performance because it it is it was very risque because they presented sex in like a fun way yes yeah yeah. and which what it would have been it's crazy to think of now but uh yeah making a a fun rom-com about sex would have been yeah delightfully obscene yeah but and that's the thing is that um i'm sure that this was probably considered for rock hudson and for doris day like brave Mm -hmm. to do to take on this kind of role for him, definitely, because he was really playing against type. I don't think he was known for comedy at mm. all, uh, and that's maybe why he didn't. He kind of resisted doing the movie because he, you know, he had a sort of manly man, uh, matinee idol vibe that he didn't want to tarnish with this kind of yeah goofy, you know, frothy stuff. I mean, I think it's so interesting when you watch these older movies where they have like, um, like extreme violence towards women like Mm -hmm. it's like i was watching like victor victoria and in the very opening scene like julie andrews like almost gets raped because it's a comedy yes yeah yeah. and you're like whoa and in this at one point jonathan because doris day is slap is is crying because she just found out the truth about rock hudson lying to her and then she's crying in the diner to get her to stop he just open palm oh yeah yeah, yeah. slaps her across the face and you're like was that just cool back then like you could just take out a woman like for crap like a lot of casual slapping yeah 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 well yeah the the end of the the big sort of romantic gesture at the end um is uh he in an attempt to get her back he hires her because she's an interior decorator he hires her to redo his apartment and she purposely does a terrible job yes like gaudy and ridiculous (laughs) yes and when he sees it he's so mad that he goes over to her apartment and kidnaps her, just straight up picks her up and just carries her down the <laughs> elevator and through the street. And she's screaming, yeah. <laughs> kicking, like, put me down. Please won't somebody help me. Don't you and remember? And the score is like kind of like, like very sort of casual, uh, you know, busy comedy score. Uh, yeah, played for big laughs. Um, but don't you remember that line whenever she was being dragged out of bed through the streets being like, help me, help me. Mm-hmm. And then she says, Off- there's literally a cop. Mm-hmm. She says, officer, arrest this man. He's taking me up to his apartment. And the cop just says, can't say I blame him. Oh my God. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck? Pigs are going to be pigs. Some <laughs> things never change. Um, uh, it is wild. Yeah. The other thing that... Uh, really kind of tickled me was the whole running gag where there's like a misunderstanding uh, at Rock Hudson's office where this doctor keeps, or no, he hides in an OBGYN yeah. office to escape from Doris Day yeah, and, and says something about, oh, I have an appointment and they think that he's uh, a pregnant man. And yeah. This <laughs> joke keeps like coming back in a very bizarre way. I know. And you're just sort of like, guys, like it was maybe like a three out of 10 joke. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know why we're we need to milk keep... this one for all it's worth, baby. <laughs> Um, I loved, uh, so another, like, I, I always find problematic lines that don't age well. I always find them very, very funny because you're like, oh, well, that was acceptable. But do you remember when she goes on a date with Tony and he's just repeatedly assaulting her in the car before they've even gotten into the bar restaurant? And then he's, she's like, now, Tony, you stop that. You're a Harvard man now. You're (laughs) just trying to get me drunk. I love the the absurdity of these lines. I 
I realize it's a comedy. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that, like, obviously these things, it's a product of its time. I just find it so funny that that was just so acceptable yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time. That, that it was just implicitly understood that, oh, this is something that every woman has to do and just put up with, is you have to f- fight off a, a drunk rapist. Oh, God, poor. Car. These poor women. Oh, God. It's, uh, it's very wild. Um but yeah, there's there's a lot of fun stuff here. Uh, the housekeeper lot, who's always hungover. The drunk housekeeper. So there's like a lot of genuinely funny kind of jokes and reversals, and uh, there's a lot of uh, the musical numbers. I thought was was really interesting to, that there are like full songs in this movie that is not a musical. Mm-hmm. But like there's a sort of an opening theme montage. Hello, talk. Yeah. Hello, talk. Yeah. Mm. Very catchy. I, I had it stuck in my head the whole time. It's great. That it's I like delightful. after the movie. I mean, but listen, Doris Day being nominated for this movie, I really feel like it was at the time very, um, maybe not controversial, but just risque, maybe subversive, maybe it was um, sexy. Mm -hmm. So I guess this would be perceived as like a brave performance. And I think sometimes when you watch these movies, you just kind of are like, well, compared to, let's say, like A Room at the Top, it's like this is a very different performance. But sometimes performances are nominated because what it means in history and also the way that women can be confidently sexual and it's not, they're not going to be punished for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the scene where they're both in the bathtub and their feet touch, uh, but they're like in two, it's two different screens. Yes, exactly. It's like, even that was like very, Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's just heavily implied, but they're not actually in the same room. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I mean, good. I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was really fun. And, uh, uh, yeah, if you've never seen Pillow Talk, I would I would say to give it give it a watch. And Rock Hudson is uh, uh, a very uh, very handsome, very sexy leading man. Some uh, some fun trivia I found at IMDb for this one. Uh, in the scene we mentioned where he's um, carrying her against her will down the street, um, apparently they had to set up a rig where she was sitting on a shelf that was like strapped to him and there was like a blanket draped over her because Rock Hudson had back problems oh my God. <laughs> and couldn't, uh, you know, carry her. And apparently they had to shoot the scene with the cop 20 times uh, because the line was, you know, uh, how you doing, Brad? His character's name is Brad. And the, the actor playing the cop kept screwing up and saying, uh, hey, Rock. <laughs> Which is such an odd thing for a, a presumably a professional actor to <laughs> And then the other fa- fact I found, uh, which is interesting, this first aired on Spanish television on July 20th, 1969, uh, but it was interrupted halfway through uh, for footage of the moon landing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it didn't air again until 1999. So the people of Spain had to wait 30 years to figure <laughs> out. Just rent it. Okay, do you have anything else that you would like to add to Doris Day's performance before we move on? Nope. So the next... Uh, this is going to be a double nominee. So we're going to talk about the movie Suddenly Last Summer. And we have two nominees here, Elizabeth Taylor and Katherine Hepburn. And uh, this was the second time um, that uh, two Best Actress nominees were from the same movie. This has only ever happened five times in Oscar history. The first time was All About Eve. The second time was the ter- the second time was this movie, Suddenly Last Summer. The third time was Turning Point. Uh, the fourth time was Terms of Endearment, and the fifth time was Thelma and Louise. Um, director Joseph L. Mankiewicz admitted that he thought that the source material for this movie was badly constructed and based on pop psychology, which is very, you, I get that right away because there's so many like lobotomy, like were they just handing out lobotomies like candy back then? Like as it was a very sort of uh, primeval time in medicine, I guess. And I think it's set in the thirties. It is a little earlier. By the way, this is Joseph Mankiewicz of Mank fame. Yeah. Uh, this is not the the Mank who wrote Citizen Kane. This is his brother. Yes. And then uh, Montgomery Cliff, who is the main doctor, main lead male character, uh, had an extreme alcohol and prescription drug abuse problem. He was uninsurable to the movie studio, and he actually would have been fired from it, but Elizabeth Taylor said that she wouldn't do the movie without him. And apparently, um, the director and the producer of the movie uh, treated him like absolute garbage to the point where Catherine Hepburn 
Uh, once she found out, like, once she secured the fact that she didn't have to do any more reshoots, she, like, spit at them um, <laughs> in disgust with the way that um, he was being treated. And Catherine Hepburn hated how Elizabeth Taylor was favored during this movie and hated the final shot of Elizabeth Taylor because it's done in really harsh lighting with no makeup. Mm. Although it's interesting, she's the one, uh, Catherine Hepburn famously always went on about, like, never being vain and uh, checking your ego. And that's a big reason why she never showed up at the Academy Awards. So I, I find that very interesting. A lot of these facts I always just take with a grain of salt. And um, Elizabeth Taylor up until this point. So this, I think, was like her third or fourth nomination. And up until this point, people said that she should have had an at least one Oscar mm-hmm. by now. But because of the morality standards of America, they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't give her this Oscar because it wasn't just about the performance. It was also about her personal life. And that affected the way that people voted for her. People often said that she should have won for the movie Cat on the Hot Tin Roof. Mm -hmm. Another uh, Tennessee Williams adaptation. And uh, at the time, you know, she had, so uh, uh, you have Eddie Fisher who was, oh my gosh, Princess Leia's mom. Uh, Carrie Fisher? Carrie Fisher's mom. Uh, oh my God, it's on the tip of my tongue. It starts with a D. Oh, Deborah. Uh, Debbie Reynolds. Debbie Reynolds, yes. And Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher were like the uh, Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt of the time. Oh. And then Elizabeth Taylor essentially like angelina them. So the world was like, we hate her, like in the 50s, because mm-hmm. they basically were like, you're a whore, and like, you are, like have corrupt morals. And so... And she was, you know, married and divorced constantly. I think she had like eight marriages. Yeah, well, definitely to, um, to uh, what's his name? Richard Burton, right? Yeah. They got married... And then divorced and then remarried and then re-divorced. Oh, my God. Well, the the whole point of that, all I'm saying is, is just that... Is it Richard that, Burton or Burt Lancaster? I get those confused. Oh, I have no idea. Okay. I don't... I think I it don't. was Richard Burton. I'm, I'm overthinking this. Well, the th- but the thing is, is with Elizabeth Taylor, it's like she was the hugest movie star. They would be like, we'll nominate you and recognize your talent, but we refuse to reward you for your morally reprehensible behavior in of your course. personal life. Which is why she went the... She won for the movie Butterfield 8, which she refers to as a piece of shit. Mm -hmm. I think it's a camp classic. I think it's really funny, but, like, I can see why she hates it. And she won because she almost died, and they were like, oh, my God, sorry, 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 here we go. We took you for granted. Exactly. Um, And then she won again. Yeah, it took her a while. It was, like, into the 60s before she started winning Oscars. I think she won her second one for um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Yes. And then that was kind of the end of her winning streak, but she could have potentially had three Oscars, maybe. But anyway, so in this movie, so suddenly Yeah, last... we should describe the plot because this is an insane movie. Yes, this is an insane movie. So I've heard about it. Um, I'm just going to bring up a very quick IMDb. So Montgomery Clift is a, a surgeon and working at this uh, hospital that is struggling and uh, they find out that uh, there's this this wealthy, uh, rich Harridan, uh, Catherine Hepburn's character, who uh, is, is comes asking, in from the ceiling every yes, time. Yes, she lives in this big, in this insane mansion uh, with like a tropical jungle in the backyard. Yeah, uh, she's widowed, and she, her her son has recently died also, and she's all alone in this mansion, going crazy. And yeah, she descends from the ceiling in a in a crazy fabulous elevator. way. <laughs> um, and she is basically hiring Montgomery Cliff's character to perform a lobotomy on her niece who is in an insane asylum uh, because she, uh, the niece played by Liz Taylor has had some kind of uh, mental breakdown after witnessing something horrible involving her dead son. Yes. And it turns out that Elizabeth Taylor wasn't actually crazy. Yes. And that the lobotomy was to cover up the family's secret that her son was gay. Mm-hmm. And this is the, this is the sort of the pop psychology of it comes in is that I, uh, they think that it's a matter of just cutting open the brain and taking out yeah. a chunk that has the memory in it yeah. so that she no longer remembers. That seems to be the implication here. Yeah. Instead of just making them like, I mean, when I think of lobotomy, I think somebody 
drooling, staring at a wall, and mm-hmm. they're just like a hollow shell of a person. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was not understood at the. T- I think it was. You know, this whole thing is ju- drenched in camp. I think you know the the playwrights. Tennessee Williams wrote this. Um, I'm sure he <laughs> was not uh, <laughs> in the dark about what this was, but it was. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a sort of picture of a, a more barbaric time and a, definitely a more uh you know uh, a time rife with gay panic yeah <laughs> uh that's sort of the implication throughout the movie is that you know oh, she she saw something horrible that that uh, that made that made her go insane and there's all these kind of veiled hints to oh well, we both had to procure men for him yeah <laughs> uh and so you think that this is the thing that she saw is that she saw him you know, Have having sex. sex with a man. Yeah, right. And then <laughs> it turns out it actually is far more insane. Yeah. They like chase him up a hill and essentially eat him, kill yes, him. Yes, they were at him. a resort and they are, and he, Sebastian, the, the dead son, uh, is chased by a band of, of Mexican street children who are cannibals. No, this was in Europe. In Europe, yes, yes, you're right. Which begs uh, the question, what do they think goes on in Europe? <laughs> like, <laughs> It's just full of roving packs of cannibalistic urchins yes. who, who chase tourists and, and devour them. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've been to Europe, so I can confirm. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. I mean, I will say one thing that I think really hurts this movie is this is a, this is a movie. Mm-hmm. There are 20-minute monologues of either Elizabeth Taylor in a chair or Catherine Hepburn just standing and then sitting, walking over to the left and then sitting. Like, this is the big action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rep- doing repetitive dialogue and saying, and suddenly, or <laughs> suddenly last summer. And they would just... They really do say the name of the Over movie. and over. <laughs> and it's like, instead of showing that, because it's a visual media, a.k.a. a movie... They just describe it. I'm like, this could have been a podcast. Mm-hmm. This could have been a radio play. It is based on a play, and they really did not go the extra mile no. to, to justify the adaptation. No, uh, I was, it was uh, Gore Vidal of all people did the the adaptation. Um, okay, it, it, which is such a fun pair. I like that those two were friends because Tennessee <laughs> Williams uh, was also a, was a, a closeted uh, gay playwright. Gore Vidal, I don't. No, he was. I think he was like pansexual. He was definitely like, uh, a, you know, a sex maniac. Uh, it was. There's a legend that Gore Vidal had had sex with a thousand people by the time he was 25. Oh my god! He once claimed to have had an affair with Fred Astaire. Um, oh okay. So it's uh yeah it's you, you can you can kind of see a lot of the, a lot of the sort of the the gay panic aspects of it are. are deliberately like trying to be subversive this is not a, a conservative this is kind of like them the writers poking fun at the insanity of this behavior <laughs> i hope that's what it was yes yeah, yeah. because i feel like or that, maybe they're just self-loathing gays Who i mean knows? a little a little bit of column a, maybe a little bit of column b but i do think okay so specifically some things about katherine hepburn that i really love i don't know if i've ever really seen her playing the victim she usually mm. is playing the like rich society woman or she's playing like the mother who is standing up to racism or she's playing the mother that's trying to keep it all together in a dysfunctional family or something i've uh this was sort of interesting seeing her as a villain i found her to be very believable i think there were so many script problems that were not doing her any favors because of the fact that she would just be like suddenly and then you'd be like, okay, we're back. And then suddenly last summer, it was mm. like, it got annoying after a while. Yeah, these monologues are always doubling back Too on themselves. Too long, very repetitive. That, mm-hmm. And they would be, they would make the point of being like, like he was in Europe with and then yeah. a, a couple sentences later, and then she'd be like, as I mentioned, he was in Europe. And you're like, yeah, I know. Like, you just said that. Yeah, yeah. In that a way got where, annoying. In a way where they're like, uh, because the character of Sebastian, the, the son, is never seen, and so maybe they feel like they need to over-explain everything, because the whole movie is them talking about this character who's not in the movie. Exactly. And, uh, and so they have to, like, really bend over backwards to... Uh, remind you what are the sequence of events of last summer yeah uh, and how everyone is connected to everyone else i mean her like sea turtles monologue about seeing the face of god was mm-hmm. really intense very intense um i love uh, i love her feeding her uh, her venus flytrap at the beginning after the... <laughs> she descends from the ceiling that fabulous elevator in the ceiling are you familiar with the byzantine doctor yeah <laughs> 
Um, and then she, yeah, she feeds. There's like a little sort of puppet Venus flytrap that lives in a in a, 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 green, a little greenhouse that she feeds little flies with of horrors, yeah. Which I guess is a little call forward to the, the the cannibalistic stuff at the end. Oh yeah, I guess that's probably what it was because it is a carnivorous plant. I thought yeah, that that's interesting. I didn't think of that, but I do. Um, think it's interesting that she dedicated her entire house jungle to the thing that ultimately like killed her son. Right. Um, but talking about Elizabeth Taylor and Catherine Hepburn separately, mm-hmm. um, I feel like Catherine Hepburn became more interesting and fun whenever Elizabeth Taylor started calling her out mm-hmm. on all of her lies. And then you find out that it's actually Catherine Hepburn that's the loon in this yes. situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I thought that was very interesting. I think that Catherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor have the best scenes together mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, with Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor or Montgomery Clift and Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, Montgomery Clift is definitely uh, stumbling through this one. He's kind of like a prop. Yeah, and he was, yeah, you mentioned earlier that he was, uh, you know, th- there was resistance to casting him because he was an alcoholic and was kind of uh, very volatile and, and difficult to ensure. And you can kind of, you can kind of see that he's maybe he's been better in other things. He's, he's really just exists in this movie to set uh, Catherine Hepburn and Liz Taylor up yeah. with questions and then step back. I find Catherine Hepburn in this movie, if I had to compare it to like a modern performance, it's almost like, when I think about, do you remember in um, Game of Thrones, there's like that old woman who is like the grandmother of the like Thorn Rose. Oh, the uh, the this um, the Queen of Thorns. Or, yeah. yeah, she she had that kind of vibe. Diana Rigg. Yeah, I feel like she had that kind of like don't fuck with me old lady vibes. Yeah, yeah, a very sort yeah sort of old like regal kind of southern belle it reminded like a domineering me of that. presence yeah. yeah and i i really like that a lot i i just the thing that always kills me is that katherine hepburn's voice is so distinct that like even in the lion in winter she has that like hello boys like that just that's <laughs> very specific i don't even know how you would describe it but that's like the high society voice that like um jackie o probably uh, learn to talk with it. like everybody from Connecticut, Connecticut, like just that very specific voice. I thought that was interesting. But talking about Elizabeth Taylor, she has a lot of hysterical monologues. A lot of um, she. Here's the thing: she is not crazy at all. I no. was expecting her to be a little off her rocker, like just a little bit. Mm-hmm. She is completely lucid, completely sane. If Montgomery Cliff, the doctor, yeah. was supposed to at all in question be like, oh yeah, like she needs a lobotomy. Yeah, yeah. I did not, there was no, uh, I was not convinced at all that Montgomery Cliff was convinced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we gotta, this is a potential He's absolutely patient. a quack doctor of the highest yeah. degree. Yeah, because the whole movie is him kind of waffling over like, do I, I think, I think maybe I should cut this woman's brain open yeah. for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I also, the fact that she was like freely allowed to walk around a mental institution right, after and, she was fully glammed up. Um, and wander into the, the men's dungeon. And, and they were all like jumping at her trying yeah, to. Yeah, leaping out of the pits. <laughs> yeah, she's in a horrible mental institution where they keep all the inmates just together in a pit. And then she like fully makes out with the doctor because it's supposed to be her projecting her feelings of her husband that died. Um, but that was confusing because I thought that the movie was supposed to be about an insane situation that got this weird Hollywood ending where there was like a big romantic kiss. And Mm -hmm. I was like, was that for the movie or was that for the audiences like of 1959? Right. I thought that was a little weird. What I'm saying is this movie isn't great, but, but it is essential viewing. I cannot stress this enough. This movie must be seen to be believed. It's, it's kind of wild, but like in a fun way. Yes. Um, I agree. I think Katherine Hepburn and Elizabeth Taylor's performances are so different from each other, but they both shine when they're both really talking to each other, as I mentioned before. Um, I think maybe Elizabeth Taylor's best moment is when she is uh, having that... Where you cut my brain, doctor? Yeah, like, or when she's having that close-up monologue... Um, and then she's explaining like what happened to him in Europe and, uh, mm-hmm. she's, uh, I don't know if I, maybe, maybe that was one of my more preferred monologues of hers. Uh, cause she's, she's great in this movie, but I just wish that she would have played crazy. 
Like, I yes. wish that she would have, because I get that she's not supposed to be crazy, but there's a way of emoting to the audience, like, oh, everybody in the movie thinks I'm crazy, but to mm-hmm. the audience, I'm not crazy. It just, she literally just seemed like she just came in for, like, a business meeting mm-hmm. at the mental institution, but they're like, no, like, she's a patient, and you're like, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, I didn't there was a disconnect for me. Yeah. And then at the end, she kind of gets a, a, a moment to break down and, and, you know, reveal what she saw and, you know, be upset. I mean, she's not insane, but yeah, clearly very upset by, yeah. by watching this man uh, get devoured by street children. Yeah. And then, in front Ka- of her eyes. and then Catherine Hepburn <laughs> at the end was literally just like, so that it all is. And then she just pretends like she didn't hear any of it. And then, yeah, She's like, goodbye, doctor. And then she gets in her little elevator and goes back up into the ceiling. And mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of it. It's just... It's very... The escalation is very bizarre. Yeah. And it's all just people kind of saying all the information that they know. Yeah. And then eventually the end of the movie is, okay, finally, I'll tell you a little bit more information. <laughs> well, I also thought it was funny the way that she was used as um, bait. Mm-hmm. for the, It was like a bait and switch. Like... The, the the husband or whatever Catherine Hepburn's son would like put Sebastian, Elizabeth, Sebastian the would, tortured poet. Who, would, by the way, only writes one poem per <laughs> year. That those are my favorite moments where, uh, where Catherine Hepburn is saying, and his poetry was his life. He had to go away and write his poem. Yeah, <laughs> singular. And then he would dress up Elizabeth Taylor in a white bathing suit, put her in the water and she'd be like, no, no. And then all of the men would get riled up into this horny frenzy. Mm -hmm. And then he would throw out Elizabeth Taylor and then he would be like, hello boys. And then I was like, does that work? (laughs) Can we, should we try it? Yeah. I was like, exactly. Like, is that, um, but it's interesting. I would not, say that this is a bad movie i would just say this is a ridiculous movie it is a romp start to finish yes if you are absolutely if you are a fan of uh two of the great actresses ever just chewing on the meatiest monologue yes and going just whole hog into it uh it is it's such a treat i enjoyed this movie so much i i really did too Kind of campy, in yes, a way. Yes, yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, okay, do you have anything else that you would like to add to either Catherine Hepburn or Elizabeth Taylor before we move on? Um, I was reading about uh, Montgomery Clift, who is the the surgeon in this movie. I was, I, unrelated, I was watching the Andy Warhol uh, documentary series on Netflix oh, this I week. Oh, I started that, yeah. Um, and they, they bring him, one of the Talking Heads interviews, uh, someone mentions, because he was gay also, he was, uh, he was in the closet for uh, most of his life, and uh, he dated Jerome... Robbins uh, and gave him the idea for West Side Story. Oh, apparently, interesting. Um, he yeah, he was just like uh, yeah, wouldn't it be cool if it was like the plot of Romeo and Juliet but with street gangs? And Jerome Robbins was like, I'll take it from there. <laughs> um, but there's a yeah in the in the Andy Warhol show. There's a, a one of the Talking Head interviews. He's talking about the actress Tallulah Blankhead, mm-hmm. uh, who was a friend of Montgomery Cliffs, mm-hmm. and she was asked, you know, was he gay? And her response was, well, I don't know. He never sucked my cock. (laughs) That's a great response. I thought that was a fun anecdote. That is a fun anecdote. I love it. Okay, let's talk about our winner of uh, the 1960 uh, ceremony year for Best Actress, Simone Signoret. So uh, this movie, Room at the Top. um, So this was a very controversial movie at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Simone Signoret, she won the National Board of Review for Best Actress, the Cannes Film Festival Best Actress. She won uh, the BAFTA for Best Foreign Actress. She won the Oscar for Best Actress. This was a very critically acclaimed role. Um, This Oscar win actually led Hedda Hopper to resign from the Academy because Signoret was a communist. Um, This was one of the first British films to openly depict adultery and suggest that sex was enjoyable. It got an X rating in the UK, which made it a huge box office success, obviously, because when you tell people, like, you shouldn't see this, everybody wants to see it. Uh, For a very repressed time for to be a a British person. Of course. uh, As I said at the top, she's the second French actress to win an Academy Award for Best Actress. The first was Claudette Colbert, and then the second was her, and the third was um, Marion Cotillard. 
she, in this movie, uh, she's supposed to be this super, like this much older woman dating a younger man. Uh, she's 35 and he's supposed to be 25. Yeah, that's the, the common refrain in this movie. Oh, how, how are you dating her? She's so old. Yes. She's so decrepit. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah, she's like a leaky then. basement yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. Like, And this um, was the first time that the award had been bestowed on an actress who had done no work in Hollywood. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, British film. Uh, yeah, it's a sort of very classy... Um, yeah, this is this would have been like an early uh, kitchen sink drama, which is kind of a, a sort of subgenre of British movies, that, just dealing with you know more working class issues, and sort of you know uh, dealing with kind of ang- angry, sort of working class anger, uh, in a way that you know kind of uh, diverged from the sort of you know stuffy period pieces, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so this would have been kind of like a precursor to you know. Uh, Mike Lee and Ken Loach and all those guys, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, so it's a, a this guy Lawrence Harvey's character is a I guess like a, an accountant or something, some kind of money guy. Yeah, he moves an from a, yeah. a small town in Britain to a slightly larger town. He was supposed to be have a northern British accent. Wow, he did not have a northern British accent. Yeah, I did not notice the difference because I don't know sub regional dialects but uh <laughs> okay yeah um and yeah he he's, he uh is kind of has aspirations to to marry the daughter of like the local town millionaire and sort Susan. of coming uh but also strikes up an affair with uh simone Signore's character who's yep. a an old old local woman. <laughs> just an old over the hill uh, spinster. She's married. Mm-hmm. Um, and the controversy uh, was that they were having an affair and that they liked it. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, and she's dating just this total drip. Yeah. <laughs> so, Give me the keys. I want to go have an affair. And I'm always glad to meet one of Alice's lovers. Yeah, exactly. Just, I mean, okay, so in this movie, there is just this... Um, sort of mature sexiness that Simone Signore brings to the role. I think mm-hmm. of all of the performances, I think that this particular one is the most realistic, the yes. most modern, the most... Uh, fr- and, you know, honestly, this kind of storyline, I feel like, would even be kind of a little gauche today. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, it does feel... Yeah, and this is... Because it was a British film, it was kind of able to exist outside of the, the code. Yeah, the, the, the Hayes picture, Code, yeah. The Hayes, which was still kind of, Which was on the way out at this time, but mm-hmm. was still dictating a lot of these decisions. And that's why, you know, a lot of British movies of this time were allowed to be more risque in, yeah. in showing, you know, uh, adultery and But and she sexuality. does it in such a classy way. Yeah, everything about this movie is... Class, even when it's dealing with like you know this this guy who is just filled with rage. Yes, and he's still very like he he's just kind of has this um, like classy British version of the bro code where he's like <laughs> rating women on a scale of ten, but he says to his buddy like, "Oh, she's a she's a grade one. Yeah, right. She's a right to proper dame. 10, yeah. Um, and then yeah, then when he kind of when his rage starts when he's he's hanging out with Simone Signore and and he kind of gets into a jealous rage. Uh, and he's like, uh, "Wow, well, you preposterous woman! I ought to beat you black and blue." Yeah, <laughs> which is like that's the the British equivalent of like hulking out, ripping your shirt off. Yeah, like, oh, you r- ridiculous. Are we about to have a you know jolly old fight in the? I don't know, but like <laughs> I know I know what you mean. Um, are you calling me a dandy? Like <laughs> things like that. I know. Um, I do think that the role of her husband, uh, Simone Signore's husband, could have been beefed up a little bit more because mm-hmm. he was just such a prop. Like, he would just come in and be like, I'm having an affair. Give me the keys. And then she would just be like, "Like, well, I'm supposed to go to wherever with the person. And then we, I have plans. And he's like, well, you don't anymore because I have an affair. And then he leaves. And then he comes back and he's like, you, I know what you're doing with my wife. And then he's like, you, get out of my face. Like, and then he just kind of would leave. I wish that there was a little bit more of the relationship between her. There are no scenes together of her and her husband mm-hmm. and that conflict and that drama. It was just so much of Lawrence Harvey that I was like. Yeah, because it's the triangle between him and her and, and the and younger Susan. woman. And Susan. Yes. Yes. That got really annoying to mm-hmm. me because the most interesting character is Simone Signore. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I uh. Okay, so going back to the Audrey Hepburn cadence where I was like, oh, I do, I really, really love you, I do. <laughs> right? 
she didn't have that. Mm-hmm. She didn't have that annoying, like, diction kind of thing. Maybe because she's French. I don't know. It felt like that was her real voice. Exactly. And it was just, it seems so modern. And you can understand why at this time this would be so, like, controversial, risque, so different from what people were used to seeing. So you can understand, like, why this was such a box office success. And also, just rating something X. And telling oh, people yeah. not to go see it. That's like, whenever I It'll do... pervert your morals. But like, okay, so producing a comedy show, I was on a, like a dark and dirty themed stand-up comedy show a week ago. Mm-hmm. It sold out in like five seconds. Yeah, 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 When you put that label on something, everyone's like, ooh, mm-hmm. you know? They're and are gonna I, say the stuff you can't say anymore. Yeah, exactly. And, uh... I mean, her character in this movie was extremely feminist. She would say things like, I'm not ashamed of my body and the things that I've done. Mm -hmm. I'm sure for the time, that kind of feminist uh, rhetoric, that type of feminist empowerment was way ahead of its time. Oh, yeah. That was the thing that that causes Lawrence Harvey to kind of fly into a rage is she tells him that that she posed for a a nude photograph in her youth. Yes. Yes. It's it's just out there. Yeah. It's It's my body. Um, I will say, though, the only thing about this movie that I thought was kind of getting annoying was if they just took the cigarette and lighting of cigarette scenes out of the movie, I think this movie would have been like 20 minutes long. It's, it's so sexy. It's so sexual. I agree. In, uh, Look, in, I, I even did a little picture oh, you did. Look at cigarettes. In, uh, in Suddenly Last Summer, too, there's a lot of uh, seductive lighting of cigarettes with a, with a matchbook. It's a very classy way to do it. Last episode, we were talking about Jessica Lange and how I was like just give her the Oscar for the way that she held a cigarette. Nobody mm. can hold a cigarette like Jessica Lang. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to God. I'm <laughs> very an, impressed with this. There's an art to it. There is. Um what was another thing? Nobody oh oh one of my favorite lines that I love so much from this was whenever she said and I think that this is weird that this resonated with me because at one point in my life, this made sense to me. But she said, nobody was ever meant to be this happy. It makes me nervous. Like my bubble is about to burst. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I like that line so much is because when you're in this little passionate love affair that's moving so quickly, but you know that there's like a sell-by date to it because, I don't know, maybe not necessarily because it's an affair, but maybe because um, you, you, you live in two different cities or maybe because uh, there's an age difference or maybe because like your friends don't like them. Or if you're an, an anxious person and you tend to catastrophize these situations. Oh, 100%, which oh, we I, all are self-sabotage, yeah, right? Yeah, my own happiness can never last. Oh, 100%. And all that being said, though, is it's like that line made sense to me because I know that at some point in my life, like I've said that and I understood where her character was coming from. I don't think of of all the performances I don't really think I had a connection with any of these performances or characters where I was like oh I totally get that yeah 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 where in this I was like oh I, I'm connecting with you like I get it mm. and that's a testament to the writing it's a very sort of conversational yeah contemporary uh, yeah the, the, the writing feels very fresh. It wouldn't be, like, out of place today. This is, uh, I think, Mordecai Richler uh, wrote or co-wrote this movie, the author, the Canadian author. Okay, wow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I bet it's, uh, yeah, definitely on a script level, I was I was most intrigued by this one. My favorite line was um, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, when... Uh, she gets punished. <laughs> she uh, She's punished for a crime. She She's in a horrible car accident, and they, they bring the news to to Lawrence Harvey at work. He's like, yes, uh, she she died in a horrible accident. She was terribly mutilated. And then he kind of storms out. <laughs> and they're like, oh, why? whatever is the matter. Yeah. <laughs> they just really kind of milk like how her entire body was mutilated. Yeah, they needed and to. And then are shocked that he's upset about it. Yeah, I know. I, but, but of course she has to be punished because... For the crime of being a sexually liberated woman. A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think that it's really not until she goes back to Alice. So Simone's character is is Alice. Uh, I I really think uh, that it doesn't really get interesting until he goes back to her because they have their thing, and then he goes to Susan, the mm-hmm. young um, society rich girl, mm-hmm. and then he goes back to Alice because he realizes that he's actually in love with her, and then that's whenever it becomes sort of interesting because she knows that it's like like uh, Simone's character. She doesn't want to necessarily like believe it because she's like I'm gonna divorce my husband and it's like this is too good to be true and then he obviously uh, is like 
offered a job and then he doesn't take it and then he ends up being like well you can marry my daughter that was a test and then he's like okay I will marry the young rich girl Mm -hmm. and then everything kind of blows up in Alice's Simone Signore's face and um, I like when she kind of just says to him she's like do you not realize like what you're doing like you know when you're with me you're yourself but you're only yourself when you're with me um, don't you understand like what you've done by choosing a life with somebody that you're not in love with? Mm-hmm. And then she dies. Um, <laughs> sad, you know, but I think um, of all of these performances, I feel like hers was probably like top two most compelling in mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. I buy it. Uh, of these, of these five um, fantastic performance, kind of a huh, movie mm-hmm. um, too much of him. I really wish there was more of her, um, Alice, Senor, Simone Signore, and her husband. Mm-hmm. I wish they beefed that up. I think that would have been more interesting to see that conflict. Sure. Um, but overall... I would have liked to see more of, of her and uh, and the woman who owned the affair apartment. Yeah. Uh, two minutes and 19 seconds. I think we could have, we could have wrung three minutes out of her easily. <laughs> uh, that would have been pushing it, though. Um but this is all that I have to say. Do you have anything else that you would like to add to her performance or to this movie before we select our winner? Nope. Good, solid movie. Okay, so you are my guest, so you get the honors of going first to reveal who you think the Oscars should have gone to. Oh, boy. I'm going to make a choice right now. Mm-hmm. No regrets. Uh, I think the Oscars should have gone to... Catherine Hepburn for Suddenly Last Summer. Oh, wow, I, I am shocked. This is the second time I have circled back around to Catherine Hepburn uh, on this podcast. I have no regrets. I think she's one of the best ever. Wow. She is so, she just represents everything that I love about this era of cinema. Fair. It is such an over-the-top performance. It is definitely not the most realistic performance by a wide margin, but it's just such an incredible, just cackling villainous larger than life character all of the like from her intro from her like descending from the ceiling (laughs) the fabulous entrance yeah yeah like a deus ex machina it's and and like just the 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 scenery chewing and the the feeding the carnivorous plant and the sort of like the way that her eyes are kind of always flickering around the room, like she's on the verge of a nervous breakdown all the time. <laughs> it's so, she's so compelling to watch. I think she's amazing. Was What was like your favorite moment if you had to pick one in this movie specifically? Um, I love the, uh, I mean, the, the, the feeding the, the Venus life trap puppet is too good to pass is, up. Okay. That's <laughs> so interesting. I am delightfully surprised to hear you say that. I was not expecting that at all. Um, okay, so I think that the Oscar should have gone to Audrey Hepburn in mm. the Nun story. I genuine, I love Audrey Hepburn in the way that you're saying that during this time you love Katherine Hepburn. I like have such a crush on her. I love all of her movies. I love. I'm obsessed with like her movie stardom. She only did like 20 movies in her whole career and she mm-hmm. got nominated for like six or seven Oscars. So like on a ratio, like that's pretty good, you oh, know? Yeah. Um, I understand completely why Simone Signore won and she deserved to win. It's just yes, for agreed. me, this just comes down to a personal uh, choice and it's just my personal preference. I loved watching her journey from start to finish. I found the whole like the things that you had to do to become a nun, I thought that was all very interesting and just wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed this year. I really enjoyed Simone Signore uh, as I just wish there was more to her role. I wish there was more of her relationship with her husband. I wish there was less of Lawrence Harvey. Mm-hmm. I think that this movie could be remade today and it would still be a success. Mm-hmm. Um, I just personal taste i really loved the nun story and i really loved audrey hepburn in it i think she knocked it out of the park and i think it was such a weird choice for her that really worked in my opinion yeah that's true she really carries it i mean that movie would be unwatchable in in the hands of anyone else but yeah she's she's very uh very watchable I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Best Actress. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, D Dill. 
D Dill. Um, yeah, I'm 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 off Twitter these days, so that's the only that's the only thing I use. All right. Well, there you go. Letterbox D Dill, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you back again. See you next time. Bye. <laughs>